Hey friends, and welcome back to the podcast. This is Unknown Friends Season 2, Episode 4, and today we're doing Part 2 of our discussion of Mansfield Park by the resplendent Jane Austen. I am your host, Rochelle Ferguson of Kitty Wayne Productions, and before we dive in, be sure you have subscribed to the podcast, and if you haven't heard part one yet, I do recommend that you go back and listen to last week's episode, Introducing Mansfield Park's publication and its plot and characters to get that background before you continue with this episode. And as warned... Today's episode does involve a lot of spoilers. I will start with a quick continuation of the plot summary from last week, just to make sure we all know what's going on, and then I will be continually referencing details from all over the novel as we talk about the characters and themes. So, if you don't already, uh, you will know exactly how the story ends by the time this episode's over. So hopefully most, if not all of you, have already read Mansfield Park for yourself. Now, I am not going to take any more time introducing things because I have got so much to say today. So, uh, buckle up and uh, prepare for passion in this episode. I, I am passionate about defending Mansfield Park, defending Austin against those who I think misinterpret her. So, just be ready. Expect zeal and uh, fervency of expression. I feel like my diction and syntax may also get a bit uh, Austin-like as we go. We'll see. So be ready for that, too. So let's make sure we are all up to speed about the storyline itself, just in case you've not read the book or not read it recently. So last week, I ended my incomplete summary of the book's plot with the vague statement that uh, one of the guy characters unexpectedly falls in love with our gentle, unobtrusive heroine, Fanny Price. That guy is, of course, Mr. Henry Crawford. And this development is unexpected because Mr. Crawford is worldly and rich and flirtatious and unprincipled. Uh, In other words, essentially the opposite of virtuous Fanny. He spent the first half of the book never even noticing Fanny and focusing all his efforts on trying to get both of her cousins, Mariah and Julia, to fall in love with him, even though he had no intention whatsoever to marry either of them. And in fact, Mariah was already engaged to Mr. Rushworth at the time. But that's the kind of guy Henry is, which is why it is such a strange turn of events when he genuinely falls for the quiet, conservative Fanny. Meanwhile, of course, which I did not get into last week, Henry's sister, Mary Crawford, and Edmund Bertram, the only person at Mansfield who's really kind to Fanny, have fallen for each other. But with Edmund set to become a clergyman and Mary determined to live a very different lifestyle of wealth and ease and fashion, uh, they have not gotten engaged yet or settled anything between them despite their mutual attraction. And in the background, Fanny uh, feels a more than familial affection for Edmund this whole time, uh, but suppresses it because she doesn't feel herself worthy of him. And yes, Edmund and Fanny are cousins. But no, in Austin's day, that was not weird. Uh, But I admit this is one of the many little things about Mansfield Park that can turn off modern readers. Uh, Don't get me wrong, cousins getting together is totally weird, uh, and should not happen. 
But to understand this novel, you do have to put yourself, for the moment, in an Edwardian mindset. To Austen's readers, cousins falling in love or even getting married did not seem weird at all. It happened. People were used to it then. Uh, just trace the monarchy of England and you will be horrified. So, Fanny loves Edmund, Edmund loves Mary, Mary loves Edmund, and Henry now loves Fanny. It's a love, not, not triangle, it's a rather complicated love square. And so, to spoil the whole novel and make sure we're on the same page, here's how it all turns out. Henry proposes to Fanny, who staunchly refuses him, despite pressure to accept him, uh, because A, she doesn't trust him as far as she can throw him, and B, because she's in love with Edmund. But Henry insists he won't give up, so he proceeds to pursue her for the rest of the novel, and although he makes some headway in that Fanny does start to believe he's really changed his uh, selfish, thoughtless ways and become a better person than he was early on, she still refuses him. And ultimately, everything explodes when Henry crosses paths again with Fanny's cousin Mariah, now married, and Henry's vanity, which alas is still alive and well, leads him to flirt with Mariah, making her fall in love with him again, and tragically, they run away together in a horrible scandal. Surprise! So, Fanny was right to doubt the transformation that had seemed to happen in Henry's life, and when Henry's sister, Mary, tries to brush the whole affair under the rug, then, at last, Edmund's eyes are opened to Mary's true shallowness and decides she is not the woman he should propose to after all. And in very short order, Jane Austen wraps up the last chapter, saying that in time, Edmund sees Fanny's true worth and they get married and live happily ever after, even though they're cousins, I know. So... Alrighty, that's Mansfield Park in a very small nutshell. Now, why is this novel so divisive? Why does it lead to some wildly different interpretations? And why do so many people think it doesn't fit with Austen's other five novels? Uh, well, let's start by laying out what some of the common interpretations and criticisms actually are. Now, this first one I'm not going to go into because it's just so anachronistic, uh, but there is a large group of Mansfield Park critics who say that this book is about slavery. And this whole body of criticism stems from one reference to the slave trade made just in passing after Sir Thomas uh, visits the West Indies on business. I don't think Mansfield Park is primarily about slavery. If you do, please message me. My Facebook and Instagram links are in the episode description. We can talk about it. But in this episode, I just don't have time to explore the whole slavery interpretation, which I think is rather off base. Another interpretation, though, uh, which I also think is rather off base, is when some critics claim that Mansfield Park basically means the opposite of what it seems to mean. Uh, Fanny is in the traditional role of the heroine, but she's actually meant to be understood ironically. Uh, so Austin is making fun of the traditional understanding of femininity and propriety and everything that characterizes Fanny. I'm not sure how you get to this interpretation, except by just choosing to 
read the whole novel upside down. We know that Austen can do irony. I mean, she's like the irony queen. Uh, and in Northanger Abbey, she does the the ironic narrator bit where she's like, on the surface, seeming to affirm gothic novels, but we can tell it's all tongue-in-cheek. So we know what irony looks like from Jane Austen. She doesn't do that in Mansfield Park. Uh, her narrator is uh, consistent and sincere, and consistently affirms Fanny as a role model. So I, I just frankly don't know what the foundation is for this interpretation, except a critic's own wishes and expectations. Now, the other main reaction from readers and critics is just to change the story, or at least say it should be different. This is where the sad film adaptations of Mansfield Park come in. Now, I have not seen the 1980s version. It's probably decent. I don't know. But the other two, released in, I believe, 1999 and 2007, respectively, are not faithful to the book at all, from what I understand. Now, I admit, I have seen neither of them myself and have no desire to, but I have read extensively about them both, and it's plain that both movies change the plot of the novel and, very noticeably, the character of Fanny in egregious ways. <laughs> Told you I'd slip into Austin speak. Where did egregious come from? Um, so, uh, from what I've researched, J Jane Austen would be rolling over in her grave if she knew that these two films claimed to be representations of the book she wrote. Basically, the filmmakers try to make Fanny the opposite of what she is in the book. She is no longer shy or sweet or devout, but instead she is rebellious and, and cheeky, and it's just, it's a travesty. It is such a disrespect to Austen's art to imagine we can improve her characters by making them more to our liking. Maybe our likings need to change instead. I told you to expect passion in this episode. Alrighty, and then there's one more response to Mansfield Park that I think is very prevalent and shows a sad misunderstanding of Austen's work. So many people think that the Crawfords, Henry and Mary, are way more interesting and likable than Fanny or Edmund and would really make a better hero and heroine. And people also complain that Henry Crawford and Fanny should have gotten together. Henry's affair with Mariah is Fanny's fault because she was a prig and refused to marry him. He would have been fine if she'd just accepted him, and they would have made a great, you know, balanced couple, his liveliness and her gentleness. Oh, well, here's the thing. We again reveal our ignorance, frankly, our, our skewed expectations when we react to the story this way. We moderns really love the uh, reformed rake plot. Bad guy falls in love with good girl, and she transforms him. Unfortunately, Jane Austen is a little too clear-eyed for that, and knows that such a chain of events is extremely rare. Uh, good girls aren't usually able to thoroughly, lastingly transform bad boys. Sorry, this is Austen getting a little too real for us, I guess. Our problem is that we read Austen expecting to find our ideas of romance, 
But romance is not what she writes. It it happens that some of her novels can be conformed somewhat to our expectations of romance. We can imprint our romantic imagination on her stories. But writing romance is not her purpose. And in fact, she mocks the tradition of Gothic romance in Northanger Abbey, uh, her novel least often adapted for the screen. Isn't that interesting? But no, Austen is not a writer of romance novels. We just like to think she is. In truth, she is a writer of uh, moralistic satire. She is a comic writer at heart. Now, we will talk more about um, her moral philosophy later, but suffice it to say, we react to Mansfield Park thinking it is unlike Austen's other novels because I don't think we understand any of her novels. We think the others are romantic and Mansfield Park isn't, whereas the truth is, romance is never her focus in any of her works. The fault is ours for imposing our false expectations. So, now let's, let's talk about Fanny Price for a bit. She is treated so unjustly, uh, inside the novel and out of it, and deserves a defense. She is hard for us to understand, I think, because we are too much like her fellow characters in Mansfield Park. We are too much like the Crawfords and the Bertrams and the, the Mrs. Norrises. I mean, it's, it's really crazy how Fanny's friends and relations do not know what to make of her. The Crawfords are more willing to admit this than the Bertrams, because the Bertrams have raised Fanny and should understand her, but they don't. Whereas the Crawfords are strangers, and so it's more excusable that they find Fanny hard to put in a box. I, I love this conversation between uh, Henry and Mary Crawford from the novel. Henry says, I do not quite know what to make of Miss Fanny. I do not understand her. I could not tell what she would be at yesterday. What is her character? Is she solemn? Is she prudish? Why did she draw back and look so grave at me? I could hardly get her to speak. I never was so long in company with a girl in my life trying to entertain her and succeed so ill. I must try to get the better of this. Her looks say, I will not like you. I am determined not to like you. And I say she shall. I think... Fanny is hard for us to understand because she is an unusual blend of strength and weakness, which is hinted at in what Henry says here. She is shy, timid, and introverted, but she has inner strength, strength of mind and heart and conscience, more than anyone else in the novel. Edmund actually describes her well at one point. He calls her a woman who, firm as a rock in her own principles, has a gentleness of character so well adapted to recommend them. But this combination baffles both the characters in Mansfield Park and us readers. It leads to all kinds of wild reactions to Fanny. Uh, if all we pick up on is her uh, outer weakness we tend to condemn her as insipid, uh, self-effacing, passive. But if we pick up instead only on her strength that comes from her morals, we condemn her as priggish, obstinate, and uh, judgmental. 
So we have to understand the nuances of her character, her strength in weakness, the, the steadfastness of her virtue with the humility of her heart to begin to do her justice. So what about this group of readers that picks up on her weakness and ignores her strength? They tend to think she's boring and spineless. Of course, the most effective response to this accusation is to point out her strength, which we will get to in a minute. But I've got to say something about the attack on on her personality, not just her character, which is implied here. She's quiet and introverted. So why does this rub us the wrong way? Why do we interpret this as uninteresting? Uh, Jane Austen shows that Fanny has a flourishing inner life. She's extremely perceptive, as we discussed last week, and she feels things deeply uh, and expresses them articulately. And she's always analyzing her own thoughts and motives, as well as those of the people around her. What makes us think she's dull? If we are offended somehow by her extreme humility... Can I just point out that she has suffered serious trauma? She was discarded by her family at age 10 and brought up in a family where she was daily reminded that she was not really part of the family. She was a charity case. She was emotionally and verbally abused by her Aunt Norris and neglected by the rest of the family, except one cousin. So it makes perfect sense that this kind of trauma, acting on an already tender conscience, would create a timid, self-doubting, submissive young woman. The wonder is, and I think this is one of the central things Austin wants us to notice, the wonder is how internally stable Fanny is, despite this trauma. And, And that's because of her faith. Austin says as much. Her religion her principles, her her trust in God, give her an extraordinary inner strength and endurance. So if there's any effect Fanny should have on a reader after finishing the novel, I think it's utter awe at what a strong woman she is. But I I digress. The other thing I have to mention about Fanny's uh, gentle personality is the strange need filmmakers seem to feel to forego the introvert in favor of a spunky rebel. We have a cultural prejudice against shyness and sweetness. Jane Austen does not have such a prejudice, and I don't think it's any credit to us readers when we dismiss Fanny as having an uninteresting personality. I think maybe we need to look deeper. Now, that's a quick response to the set of critics which notices Fanny's timidity, but not her strength. But what about the set that notices her strength, but misses her timidity? This is where you get accusations calling her stubborn and uh, self-righteous. And this is where we should almost be feeling deja vu, because several of the characters of Mansfield Park make these same accusations, especially... Mrs. Norris. Now, I I think it's so helpful that Mrs. Norris is the way she is. I have told you she's horrible. She is. She's, She's appallingly mean. But ironically, she actually helps ground the story morally. I know of no one who views her as an admirable character. We all agree that she is hateful. She's deceptive and manipulative, 
uh, and miserly and possessive. And she tries her best to use words to hurt people she doesn't like, namely Fanny. But like I said, this is actually helpful. Most of the other characters are more morally ambiguous or conflicted, so it's sometimes hard to know whether we're supposed to agree with their opinions. Mrs. Norris, however, is unambiguous, and we all know that her opinions are not trustworthy. In fact, whatever she says is usually the opposite of the truth. So, when she accuses Fanny of being uh, foolish, ungrateful, willful, and self-conceited, I think that's a pretty good sign that Fanny is truly none of those things. But even if you didn't have this uh, ironic moral compass in Mrs. Norris, the story itself defends Fanny from accusations of being uh, judgmental or hypocritical, which are the main critiques I've heard of her. So people say she's judgmental when the rest of Mansfield Park is putting on the play Lover's Vows. Absolutely false. She helps them in this project. She helps with props. She helps the actors practice their lines. She never tells them they're wrong for what they're doing. She refuses to be an actor herself, but she has every right to. She's shy for crying out loud. Sorry, getting a little animated over here. But, you know, not everyone wants to be in a play. Julia refuses to participate as well, but I've never heard anyone call her judgy. So why is Fanny called stubborn and priggish when she is the one whom everyone else is trying to coerce into doing something she just doesn't enjoy? As Edmund says, it is not fair to urge her in this manner. You see, she does not like to act. Let her choose for herself as well as the rest of us. To which Mrs. Norris responds by calling Fanny obstinate and ungrateful, and if nothing else is, that should be our cue that Fanny is not obstinate or ungrateful. Jane Austen does not intend us to agree with Mrs. Norris. Mrs. Norris is a monster. But beyond the theater at Mansfield, is Fanny judgmental uh, toward the Crawfords or toward Edmund? She does not see eye to eye with the Crawfords. She believes them to be unprincipled and unreliable, and she believes Edmund to be blind. But does she preach at them? Never. Uh, in fact, it takes effort from others to convince her to voice her opinions even slightly. She never goes around telling people they're wrong. Uh, that, by the way, is a much better description of, you guessed it, Mrs. Norris. Jane Austen explicitly shows us several opportunities for Fanny to, uh, you could say, tattle on the people around her, and Fanny consistently resists it. She does everything in her power to avoid speaking badly of others. Now, of course, in her own mind, does she feel doubts as to the integrity or at least the wisdom of some of the people around her? Absolutely. Does that count as being judgmental? Maybe it does nowadays. I don't know. But if that's how we're defining judgmental, then I don't know how any of us can avoid it. Are we all really supposed to go around genuinely, wholeheartedly believing that everyone around us is thoroughly good and well-intentioned and trustworthy? I don't know anyone who thinks that way. And all I can say is the people who loudly, angrily condemn Fanny for thinking disapproving thoughts about the Crawfords seem to me to be more judgmental than she is. 
But then there's also the hypocrisy accusation. Poor Fanny, can't win for losing. I honestly wish someone would explain to me where this critique comes from because I just don't see any basis for it in the novel. And the irony of the accusation just floors me. Like, have you read the book? (sighs) Sorry. Okay, let's break this down. The word hypocrite shows up one time in Mansfield Park early on when guess who is accused of being hypocritical? Fanny. Once again, the critics side with the characters whose judgment we know is suspect. It's Fanny's cousins, Mariah and Julia, who judge her to be a hypocrite, right after the narrator gives us an explanation of Fanny's true thoughts, which clearly show her being anything but a hypocrite. In fact, she's analyzing herself critically and and doubting herself, as she often does, and, and reprimanding herself for feelings she believes are wrong. And it's at that moment that Austin tells us Mariah and Julia set her down as a hypocrite. Well, they are dead wrong. Uh, The narrator all but explicitly tells us they are wrong. And, I mean, consider this. Hypocrite is a Greek word and literally means actor. And Fanny herself says in the novel, I cannot act. This This is a central theme of the story. Why do we think Jane Austen spends so much time discussing the theater that the young people create at Mansfield? This is not just to move the plot forward. This is to help clue us in on which characters are pretenders or hypocrites and which are not. And Fanny is the only person who is never in favor of the play the others want to perform. Everyone else is a hypocrite, an actor, to some degree. Everyone else, as I touched on last week, is blind to their own motives. Mariah encourages Henry Crawford's attentions, even though she knows she shouldn't, and she excuses her own behavior. That's hypocrisy. Henry and Mary Crawford are both consummate actors. They are manipulative, constantly switching between masks, playing whatever role suits their aims at the moment. And even Edmund deceives and contradicts himself. Only Fanny is consistent. Only Fanny knows herself. So how in the world people so misread this novel as to label Fanny a hypocrite when it is literally one of Austen's main points that everyone except Fanny is a hypocrite is almost beyond my understanding. Now, I must add, because I already hear objections, I have said before, and I say again, Fanny is not perfect. The narrator tells us that she struggles at times against uh, discontentment and jealousy and selfishness. But Fanny knows this. She's constantly questioning herself and she's struggling against these flaws. That is not hypocrisy. That is human and actually noble. There's a wonderful little passage midway through the novel that does such a great job describing both Fanny's nobility and her humanness. I've got to share this. This is in chapter 27, and Fanny has just heard more explicitly than ever before from Edmund that he is in love with Miss Crawford, and she just feels all these conflicted emotions once she's alone again. The narrator writes, Could she believe Miss Crawford to deserve him? It would be Oh, how different would it be? How far more tolerable. But he was deceived in her. 
Till she had shed many tears over this deception, Fanny could not subdue her agitation, and the dejection which followed could only be relieved by the influence of fervent prayers for his happiness. It was her intention, as she felt it to be her duty, to try to overcome all that was excessive, all that bordered on selfishness, in her affection for Edmund. She had all the heroism of principle, and was determined to do her duty. But, having also many of the feelings of youth and nature, let her not be much wondered at if, after making all these good resolutions on the side of self-government, she seized the scrap of paper on which Edmund had begun writing to her as a treasure beyond all her hopes. Having regulated her thoughts and comforted her feelings by this happy mixture of reason and weakness, she was able in due time to go down and resume her usual employments. Frankly, I don't understand how you cannot like this heroine. She is warm and tender, she's sincere and thoughtful and devoted. Yes, she's young and human, but she has a strong conscience built on firm principles. And I think her struggle against selfishness, her resolution to try to do what is right, is absolutely endearing and inspiring. Okay, let's try to start wrapping this up. Here's what it all comes down to. Jane Austen has a rigorous moral philosophy that shapes everything she writes. Like it or not, uh, she writes her books around an unshakable moral core. We in the 21st century want Fanny to be meant ironically. Jane Austen can't seriously be commending her virtue and traditional femininity and strict principles, right? Uh, When Jane Austen made the Crawfords so much more lively and uh, intriguing than quiet little Fanny Price, I mean, she can't honestly think better of Fanny than of the Crawfords just because Fanny is religious and they're not. Well... Actually, Jane Austen can do exactly that. Because, sure, the Crawfords seem more captivating than Fanny at first. Wrong is often enticing. But that doesn't make it right. And yes, Austen values what is right more than what is charming. We grossly misunderstand her if we come away from Mansfield Park preferring the Crawfords to Fanny even after all their facades have been stripped away and their their immorality laid bare, and Fanny proven right about everything. If we still think Fanny is less appealing than the Crawfords, then we have completely missed Austen's point. Yes, evil seems attractive at first, but the truth is, this is key, it invites us in order to subdue us. That is a quote about Miss Crawford. She invites in order to subdue. And Henry does the exact same thing. He flirts with women in order to control them. And there is nothing truly attractive about evil of that kind once you see through it. Whereas there is everything attractive about virtue once you see it for what it is. And ironically, even the Crawfords themselves realize this. Not enough to change, but enough to feel the pull of virtue. After Henry uh, runs off with Mariah, he very soon learns, the narrator tells us, by the force of contrast, to place a yet higher value on the sweetness of Fanny's temper, the purity of her mind, and the excellence of her principles. Although from much of the novel, no one knows what to make of Fanny Price, 
ultimately, everyone in the story who has an ounce of honesty, by which I mean everyone except Mrs. Norris, acknowledges not just the goodness, but the attractiveness of Fanny's character. Henry Crawford, the libertine, sincerely falls in love with Fanny, uh, perceiving the value and the appeal of her gentleness and modesty, her patience, steadiness, and integrity. Those are all quotes. And of course, Edmund, once he's free of his infatuation with Mary, ultimately realizes Fanny's much greater worth, uh, as does Sir Thomas. So whether or not we find Fanny appealing when we start the novel, there is not a doubt in my mind that Jane Austen wants us, in the end, to have learned from the story that charm is deceitful, whereas true worth and delight are found in integrity. And if that sounds old-fashioned, may I just point out that Jane Austen was 200 years ago. Thank goodness we can't make her modern, no matter how hard we try. We need her the way she is. I could say so, so much more, but I've already gone longer than usual. I would love to defend Elizabeth Bennet against the charge that you hear of being similar to Mary Crawford. Uh, They are somewhat similar in personality, but vastly different in their hearts and minds. I would love to defend Austen against the readers who complain that she should have let Henry become a good guy in the end. Please just reread the last chapter of the novel and note Austen's explanation of how and why he behaved the way he did. His failure is completely his own fault. Now, the last thing, uh, hopefully you all are gracious to me and don't mind me going a bit long, I do just have to comment on Austen's view of theater. Because I'm a playwright and an occasional actress, uh, the topic of acting is very important to me, and this is the only novel where she deals with it at length. Uh, And it's easy to misread Mansfield Park thinking that Austen is condemning theater. Austen is not so simple as to think or say that theater is bad, but neither is she so simple as to say that theater is good. Uh, In fact, let me quote again from this wonderful novel. This is uh, Sir Thomas describing Fanny's wise heart and mind, but it could also describe Austen herself. He says, You have an understanding which will prevent you from judging partially. You will take in the whole. You will consider times, persons, and probabilities. Now, this consideration of times, persons, and probabilities is crucial in Jane Austen's moral philosophy. Certain things are good in some contexts, but bad in others. Austen and her family loved theater. They attended public performances and they participated in private performances, much like the one described in Mansfield Park. Austen herself acted. She is not anti theater. But she understands times, persons, and probabilities. In a context like Mansfield Park, uh, a bunch of young people, a few of whom are already attracted to each other, both Mariah and Julia find Henry Crawford appealing, and he leads them both on, even though Mariah is engaged, and of course Mary and Edmund are attracted to each other. In this context, acting out a play called Lover's Vows is not wise. Uh, Mariah's and Henry's characters are in love in the play, 
and Mary's and Edmund's characters are in love. So it's toying with human emotions for them to act these characters. Now, I get it. This is this is an 18th century play. There are no R-rated scenes or anything, but Jane Austen is perceptive enough to know that even something as seemingly innocent in the play as uh, Henry's character taking Mariah's hand and pressing it to his heart is not a good idea. Mariah is committed to marry someone else, but she and Henry have been flirting for weeks And now they are aggravating this already unhealthy situation by rehearsing over and over again this, uh, you know, emotional, affectionate scene between their characters. It's, It's just a bad idea. And similarly, in the play, Mary Crawford's character and Edmund's discuss love and marriage in terms even Miss Crawford finds embarrassing. But it's justified because it's only a play. Well, here's the thing about theater. Whatever we do, even if we are just pretending, affects us in one way or another. Art imitates life, and life imitates art. We tend to become what we pretend to be. Can we counteract this tendency? Sure, in some cases, but we cannot ignore it. And as a, as a playwright myself, I'm constantly facing this question. Where to draw the line? What emotions or characters might be harmful for actors to portray. And there's no one-and-done answer for this. We just have to consider times and persons and probabilities. What may be innocuous for one group of performers could be detrimental to another. And this is where Austen is so wise. She does not condemn theater. In fact, even her conservative heroine Fanny finds theater entertaining and moving and acknowledges Henry Crawford in particular as an excellent actor, uh, despite her disapproval of his morals, or lack thereof. But Fanny's moral philosophy is well enough developed uh, not just to see the world in black and white. Theater is either okay or not okay. She can appreciate the art of it, but recognizes that the timing is not wise, the people involved, uh, the probabilities of what emotions will be stirred. Now, perhaps this all sounds completely outdated and irrelevant. Uh, Many readers do find Fanny's and therefore Jane Austen's discomfort with the details of the play in Mansfield Park just incomprehensible. But I, I hope that readers will try to understand the nuances of Austen's approach here. Even if we who are involved in theater today choose to draw our lines in different places, Austin's reasoning is as relevant today as it was then. We mustn't just flatly categorize things in our mind as good or bad, uh, okay or not okay. We must seriously take into account in each and every situation, times and persons and probabilities. All right, I have gone way over time. I'm done. I, I have to be done. Please message me if you have questions or comments or disagreements about anything I've said about Mansfield Park. I would love to hear your thoughts about the book. This is one of my very favorite novels to discuss, as you can tell. So thank you for listening to my thoughts about it. Next week, we will be switching gears as we turn to a work of nonfiction uh, published this century. 
I look forward to reviewing Notes from the Tilt-A-Whirl by Christian writer N.D. Wilson. This was actually my first read of 2021 last month, and I greatly enjoyed it. It gave me lots of food for thought, so I'm excited to share the book with you next Wednesday in episode 5. Again, I'm Rochelle Ferguson of Kitty Wham Productions, and you can learn more about me and my work at my website, kittywhamproductions.com, linked in the episode description. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>